Well, good morning to you all. And uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read from John's Gospel. And uh, we're going to read from chapter uh, 15 and 16. So John chapter 15 and 16. And uh, right at the end of chapter 15, verse 26, where we read this, this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, when the advocate, and that sounds a sort of impersonal word, maybe you can translate that as comforter or uh, consoler. Um, so when the advocate, the counselor, the consoler comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, You'll remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, counselor, consoler uh, will uh, will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that, the all that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me and he will make it known to you. And then just a verse from uh, further on, verse 27. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So, amen, and may God bless us this reading from his word, and may he give us such understanding as he means for us to receive this morning, and to his name be the, the glory and the, the praise. It's really, a, I really enjoy uh, being here, and uh, I'm just down from Stornoway. I suppose I could re, uh, re, rewrite the song, I've just come down from the Isle of Lewis, and uh, I'm no very big. <laughs> and uh, I'm awful shy, and uh, but it's lovely to be with you because there's no church I would rather be. It's the only Sunday I've got down here, 
and there's no place I'd rather be in Mirisban because this is a place where God is honored, you honor his word, you honor his spirit. And it's lovely to hear of what God is doing. Uh, somebody was speaking to me just before the service and they were saying, well, I've not been in this thing very long. And uh, isn't it lovely when there's even new life? At many churches, there's been no new life for a while. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the wee girl that was asked to write a story about birth. When she was 11 years old, she went home and said, Mommy, how, how was I born? And her mummy said, well, a stork came and left you under the gooseberry bush. And, and uh, she said, and how were you born, mummy? And well, a stork came and left me under a gooseberry bush. And how was granny born? Well, a stork came and left her under the gooseberry bush. And the wee girl alarmed with this information began her essay. Apparently, there's not been a normal birth in our family for, <laughs> for, for at least three generations. There, there's many churches where there's not been a spiritual birth for a while. But that's not true here. Folk are coming to spiritual life here. And that's so good. There's many churches that don't have any Sunday school or children. And you do. And it's been lovely for me to be here and see that, and just uh, feel the, the joy of it. So uh, I love being here and it's a real privilege to be with you just to uh, share God's word. I, I love being up in Stornoway, I have to say that as well. Um, it's very good for my health in terms of my lungs and uh, the, the workload in terms of the church there is just absolutely uh, right for me. And it's an honour to be there as well because of course there's actually nowhere in the UK where God has worked more powerfully in the last hundred years than he worked in Lewis because of course there was a revival there and 1949 to, to 1952, and many of us will have heard of that. Just a few days before coming down here, I was actually in the house that shook. Have you heard about the house that shook? It was a house in Arno, and the Spirit of God was moving throughout the islands, but in this particular place, nothing was happening, and they gathered for prayer. And uh, one of the, the men started to pray and said, Lord, you have promised to pour water on him who is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, but it is not happening here. And he just kept on saying to God, I challenge you to fulfill your promise, to fulfill your covenant engagements here in Arnold as elsewhere on the islands. And he just kept on saying, Lord, your honor is at stake. Your honor is at stake. How can I ever trust you again? Your honor is at stake. And right at that moment, the Holy Spirit fell and the whole building shook as though it was an earthquake. And I was in that house not terribly long ago and there was some American friends over and of course they delighted to visit that house and you know some people there's people actually living it a young Christian couple it was dilapidated and they thought this is such a dishonor that this should happen to such a house and they they bought it and they renovated it and they find that busloads stop outside their house and folk come up and they take a stone or a wee bit of soil because they just want something from where God has moved in power. I was just reading in the Psalms this morning, you cause your wonderful works to be remembered. 
It's good to remember where God has moved in extraordinary power. And he can do it again. I don't know. I think my favorite story out of the Lewis revival is where there was 15 uh, men who were a rugby team and they were lying on a hillside and they were watching the ferry coming over and there was going to be a dance after the rugby match. And they were just wondering how much drink was on board for this dance. Wasn't a preacher near them. And one of them said, you know, I think we should drink our fill because I don't think any of us will be drinking for a while. And one of the others said, what do you mean? You're not, you're not meaning revival, are you? And the, and the fellow said, well, I don't, I don't know. I just get this strange feeling. Next minute, 15 of them out flat under the power of the spirit on the hillside. 15 of them, a minute later, converted by the power of God. It's amazing what God can do in one day or one moment of his power. And though we rejoice and I rejoice in what's happening here, the good things that are happening, I hope we are crying out to God, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to Middlesbrough. Because there are thousands of folk out here on their way to a lost eternity. What eternity? Do you believe that in a single day, God could convert hundreds of people? It happened not far from here, didn't it? In Kirkushot, 500 people came to faith in one day when the Spirit of God came down in that church and community. So we do say, come Holy Spirit. And you might think, well, of course we say, come Holy Spirit. But you know, I actually saw um, three a, a, a three times repeatedly posted video on Facebook not terribly long ago. And the preacher was saying why it's wrong to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Can you imagine that? It's wrong to invite the Holy Spirit to come. And I think he probably, by what he was saying, he he probably engendered fear. Maybe as I've spoken about the power of the Spirit this morning, you think, well, that sounds actually quite fearful that God can do that. Can we remember that the Holy Spirit is the gift of a good, good Father? And you know, for a preacher to say it's wrong and to inculcate fear about saying, come Holy Spirit, He's actually encouraging us to be more afraid of the devil. That that's going to exceed our trust in the love of our Father. He only gives good gifts to his children. Because he's a good, good Father. And I want to say just from our passage this morning, just very, very simply, two, two reasons why... We should never stop praying, come Holy Spirit, regardless of what we've experienced. I, I mean, I've had an experience of God that was so great. I, I thought I was going to die. I could hardly bear it. But I know that I've, I've not even touched the edges of what's available to God's people. And I'm still praying continually 
Lord, fill me with your spirit. And for me, the filling of the spirit is not just a tick-off experience. I'm still praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Which one of us here is going to make the outrageous claim that I've got all of the spirit of God I need? We need more. Have I shared with you here the story of a minister who was actually filled with the Holy Spirit uh, in his, um, in his uh, pulpit? And uh, he'd been to a charismatic meeting and he'd not liked what he'd heard up front and he didn't like what the person prayed at the end, more Lord. And he was preaching against this in the pulpit when all of a sudden he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he started to speak out loud in tongues in his pulpit. And uh, he started, he just couldn't stop. It was just coming like a flow. And afterwards, there happened to be a, a Native American there. And they said, you know, I, I could understand your words. You were actually speaking my language. And the preacher said, well, what was I saying? And he said, well, various things. But basically, you were saying, more Lord, more Lord. Friends, do you know you need more? Do you know you need more? Or are you satisfied? The enemy of the best is always the good. And what's happening here is good. Do you believe God is more for you? And more for Moody's work? Well, a couple of reasons why we should ask for more. First of all, there's a reason in terms of the unsaved world. Let me just read from chapter 16 of John's Gospel again. When he comes... And I'll read it in the older version. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. Friends, after a service not long ago in Stornoway, Morik and I, we were walking out of church and we met a business owner in Stornoway and we started to share with him the gospel. And he started to laugh in our faces. And he started to say, I am quite happy to be living in the darkness. And we said to him, and what about at the end of your life when you stand before God? And he started to laugh again. Oh, that's no concern uh, for me. I'll be fine on that day. And I said to him, but friend, there's no laughing matter. One day you'll stand before God. And every aspect of your life will be laid bare before him. And he just started to laugh again and say, oh, he said, I'm going to be fine, man. Don't worry about me. I put my hand on his shoulder and he said, I, I said, I am worried about you. You need to find an answer to the darkness that you rejoice in. And the sin that you've been living in. And Morag started to talk to him as well, and he just laughed and, and walked away. Friends, I think the world desperately needs a conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. There's so much darkness around. There's so much confusion. I was saying at the men's group yesterday, I'm not political in the narrow sense, but you know, when we've got a government in Westminster that just wants to go against its own rules and laws and rip up agreements that it's made. 
with other people. When we have a prime minister who writes to his, his advisor on ethics, saying he's intended to go against what is right. And the advisor, who's actually a Lewisman, has to resign. When we've got a government in Holyrood that is causing increasing harm in children, harm and damage even to primary school age children. So that a wee girl, a wee boy rather, came home, that, and I know this is true, I know the people involved came home and he said to his mummy and daddy, mummy and daddy, am I a boy or a girl? Friends were in a mess. And yet those in power think they're doing the right thing. And the enlightened thing, we're in the days that the scripture speaks of, where we're calling light darkness and we're calling darkness light. But what happens when the Holy Spirit comes? We witness to these things, actually, in chapter 15, uh, verse 26. Uh, remember, we're told the Holy Spirit will testify. We also must uh, testify. But he bears his own witness. And I've told you how powerless my witness and Morag's witness was. When the Holy Spirit first fell in Lewis in the days of revival, the preacher called Duncan Campbell, he had to wend his way through bodies lying all over the place under the power of the Spirit to get up to the pulpit. And the last person before he eventually got up into the pulpit was a Christian but she was crying out in agony, is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? Is there mercy for me? A conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. You've maybe heard of a, a famous uh, believer called uh, John Brown of Priest Hill. And uh, he lived in the days of the Covenanters. You've probably heard about that as well. And this happened in 1685. He was training to be a preacher, uh, but actually he, he didn't have the gifts to be a preacher. And so he became what we call a catechist. He gathered groups of young people around them and he taught them the gospel and he was wonderful at it. There was a prophet called Sandy Pedden. I don't know if you've heard of him. And uh, he actually was pursued by the authorities so much that, that he wore a false face. And you can actually see his false face in the museum in Edinburgh. He, he wore it to disguise himself. So this is at the 17th century. And uh, he, he, he prophesied when John Brown got married to his wife, Isabel, he said, you, you, better, keep, you better keep a shroud nearby. <clears throat> because you're going to need it before long. 
This is what happened in 1685. Uh, a man called John Graham of uh, Claverhouse, Viscount Dundee, he was the agent of the king and the bishops because what was happening was that the, the king, the, the sovereign, was so much wanting to control Scotland that he wanted to get rid of all the Scottish ministers and he wanted to impose the rule of bishops who were loyal to him. So all the ministers were outlawed and they were all removed from their churches, but they met in the open fields and so did their congregations. And the authorities heard about John Brown and the influence he was having upon young people. And they sent Claverhouse to arrest him. And he dragged him out of his house to shoot him. And John Brown turned to his wife, Isabel, and said, this is the day I told you of before we were married. You see me summoned to appear in a few minutes, listen to this, before the court of heaven. See, the, the first stage of conviction of the work of the Holy Spirit uh, upon a, a life that comes to faith in Jesus is, I'm accountable before God. And one day I'll stand before him and everything will be laid bare. The fear of the Lord of the right sense. This is the day I told you before we were married, you see me summoned to appear in a few minutes before the court of heaven. And then he kissed her and he kissed his son and then he kissed his little daughter, Janet. And then the, the soldiers, he met, knelt to pray, and Claverhouse said, you prayed long enough, stand up. The soldiers wouldn't kill him. They were in tears because of the conviction that came upon them as John Brown prayed. But John Graham wasn't put off. He took out his own pistol and he shot him in the head. And as he slumped to the ground, his wife, Janet, she wrapped his shattered head in a napkin and just held it close to her. And this is what um, John Graham of Claverhouse said, um, if I would, and if I could, I would lay you out on the ground beside him. And Isabel said, if you were permitted, I doubt not your cruelty could go to that length. But how will you answer for this day's work? And he said, to man, I am answerable. In other words, I could defend this. Listen to this. Does this not make you shudder? As for God, I would take him into my own hand. Now, there you've got the two attitudes. John Brown, I'm summoned to appear before a court. Claverhouse, as for God, I could take him into my own hands. Friends, how much conviction is there out there? of the realities of sin and righteousness 
and standing before God one day. I've told you about how God moved in Lewis. Lewis is as godless now as any part of the United Kingdom. Every generation needs a spiritual awakening. Lewis is as much in need of Christians praying, come Holy Spirit, to convict Lewis of sin and righteousness and judgment. As you in this place. I was shocked how powerless Morag's witness and my witness was. But it's made us pray in a new way. Come, Holy Spirit. Do your own witnessing and your own testimony <coughs> to the truth of these things. So we need to pray, come Holy Spirit, because of the, um, the need of the world and the darkness of the world. And I think it's an increasing darkness that there is. And we need the Spirit to come and do his convicting work. But there's a second thing, and maybe this sounds more uh, cheerful. This is something that I think needs to happen in the life of believers, because there's a second thing that I want to draw to your attention from the, the words that we have read. Um, we read, not only will he bring this work of conviction, but in verse 14, and again, I'll go back to the older version, the spirit will glorify me because he will take what is mine, says Jesus, and he'll make it known to you. He will take what is mine and he will make it known to you. And you know, there's so many ways that we could expound on that. But I thought on this Father's Day, I didn't really realize it was Father's Day until I arrived. Uh, in the, because I'm still waiting for my car too. I think it will maybe come tomorrow <clears throat> when it dawns on my two that actually it's Father's Day right now. But um, I, I was thinking just in the prayer meeting there, you know, above all, what do we need the Holy Spirit to take from what is Jesus, what belongs to him, and make it known to us? And I think I've realized what I want to speak about. Most of all, we need to take, we need the Holy Spirit to take Jesus' relationship with his Father and make that known to us. <clears throat> you see, Jesus knew. <clears throat> Remember at this baptism, there's a voice from heaven, <clears throat> and the Father says, This is my Son, whom I love, and he brings me great joy. You know, sometimes I come across Christians. <clears throat> And it's as though they've experienced the first aspect of the Holy Spirit's work. They've known what it is to be convicted of the need of a savior and they've come to the savior and received forgiveness. But it's as though they've been saved out of 
but not into. What we really need to know is not just I'm forgiven, but I'm actually loved by my Father in heaven. I can remember an astonishing time when the Holy Spirit really was uh, coming in power in Thurso. <clears throat> and uh, we were due to go off for a holiday, more I can add. And we decided actually we don't want to go because we don't want to miss anything of what God is doing. And we came back to our church and I didn't take the services. Others were booked to take the services. So I just sat in the congregation and the Holy Spirit came down in real power. And there were a lot of things happening, I have to say. But one of the odd things that happened was that all of a sudden, I heard this person roaring out like a warrior. It was so And I thought, what on earth is happening? And then to my horror, I saw it was my wife, Maura. And if you've met her, you'll know she's a very quiet, demure person. And she was going, Rah! and I thought, well, we may as well keep our holiday bags back because I think we'll be out of here permanently. And, uh, and then she shouted out, the sons of God are rising. And I thought, that's it. Seal out the door. And then I noticed even more to my horror, she, she was sitting next to the lead elder in the congregation. But then I noticed his face. Tears were streaming down his face. And I spoke to him afterwards and said, Robert, what, why were you crying? He said there were tears of relief. He said, I've never been able to call God my father. I wonder if there are some of us here and it's difficult for us to call God father for one reason or another. He said, when your wife Morag did that, it was as though layers of my life were pulled away, layer after layer, and something touched my heart supernaturally. And I found myself crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy. I think there's a lot of people in Lewis today that that needs to happen to, and probably there's people here that that needs to happen to. I find that people often pray to Jesus. All their prayers are to Jesus. Jesus actually tells us in John's Gospel, you can pray to the Father yourself because the Father himself loveth thee.
Now, friends, it's not wrong to pray to Jesus. I, I hope you don't mishear me. But sometimes I wonder if people pray to Jesus because there's still a deep uncertainty of God the Father's love. Do you need the Holy Spirit today to take what is Jesus, what belongs to him? I'm your son, Father, and you delight in me. Do you need the Holy Spirit to take what belongs to Jesus? Until your heart echoes that. I'm your daughter. And you delight in me. I'm your son. And you delight in me. You don't just put up with me. You actually delight in me. I wonder where you are with that. There are so many people, men in particular, who grow up with this feeling. I have been a complete disappointment to my father. I have just been a complete disappointment to my father. We just pray God bless in that situation. I remember being in a conference once and the speaker said, I want every man to stand up who is in the job they are in because they felt it would please their dad. 80% of the gatherings do that. I wonder if today some of us are thinking, I, I've just been a complete disappointment. I've been a complete disappointment to my dad, a complete disappointment to my mother. I've been a complete disappointment to my wife. I've been a complete disappointment to my children. I am just a complete disappointment to everyone. You've got to hear this, you're not a disappointment to God. He was under no illusions when he chose you in all eternity. Charles Spurgeon was once asked, <clears throat> do you believe that God chose you before you were born to belong to him? And his reply was this, well, he certainly wouldn't have chosen me after I was born. <laughs> Listen, he saw you from all eternity and he set his love upon you. Oh, some of us, I know it, I feel it in my heart. Our hearts are as stone and our hearts get like stone as a defense to love. You got a heart of stone this morning. 
I understand that sometimes we think a heart of stone is because of sin. Often a heart of stone is because of heart. And often a heart of stone is because we feel we've made such a mess of things that they're not worthy of receiving any love. We're, we're not worthy of the continuing love of our spouse. We're not worthy of the continuing love of our children. We're not worthy of a love that delights in us. Why do we get like that? I'll close with this. It can be because of life's experience, the way that our fathers or mothers or whatever have treated us. And we're, we're talking about fathers today, but let me just put in a, a word about mothers. When our difficulty has been with our mother, the damage goes deeper than when the difficulty is with our fathers. And I think over the years I've worked out why. I think I worked out why when my daughter was born. <clears throat> she was born by cesarean section, so I was the first to hold her. And Morak was coming round from the anaesthetic. And she let out a sort of groan. Oh. I, I wouldn't have believed this if I'd not seen it. Sarah's newborn neck snapped around in that direction of that noise. And she went, ah! It was a yelp of sheer delight. And I thought, newborn babies can't do that as if I... As if I knew anything about it, I'd never held one before. And a few seconds later, a minute or two later, Morag again coming out from the anesthetic. Oh, Sarah's neck snapped her. <laughs> there's a connection with a child that a man can never know. The Bible tells us there's a love called womb love. Remember Jack Deere, a wonderful Bible uh, teacher. <clears throat> they were going to have a baby who was deformed. And uh, he said to his wife, maybe it would just be as well if the, the, the baby wasn't born. And his wife just <clears throat> went into a rage. She said, I want that baby. And I will love that baby. And I will nurture that baby. And I will give my life for that baby until the day I die. That's womb love. And when that relationship gets damaged, the damage is really really, really deep. So I wonder if just at the end, we need to bring our father wounds and our mother wounds. Maybe you're worried as I've been saying this, goodness, what damage have I done to my children? 
friends, if you've been a good enough mum or dad, that's enough. No parents are perfect. And I would say this as well, that sometimes I heard one speaker say that children are good recorders, but they're poor interpreters. I remember coming home from school once when I was seven years old and I was 28th out of the class of 30. It didn't bother me. I didn't, didn't even know what that meant. You, you know what? It bothered my mother. And she said, but why? And I thought, oh, oh why? What? I don't, I don't understand what you're meaning. What? Why were you 28? And then, this is not true of my mum, but children are good recorders and poor interpreters. I thought, oh, I see now. Your love differ when. So do you know the effect? Next year I was top of the class. It brought me no joy. And that released something in my life, a whole strain of damage, that it didn't matter how successful I was, I always felt a complete failure. Because it was as though being loved became a set of ever-moving goalposts that you could never reach. Now, my mom is the most wonderful mom. She's in glory now. She'd be horrified. It wasn't her fault because her love was unconditional. But children are good recorders, but poor interpreters. Have you got some childhood wounds? Some mother wounds, some father wounds. It's just a thought going off in my head. I can't really link it in, but maybe you've been wounded by your children. In fact, maybe someday I should run a conference. <laughs> Not in the windy child, but in the windy parents. Why don't we just sit before God for a moment in his presence and say, Holy Spirit, would you, would you just help me to know deep within my heart. Will you take what belongs to Jesus? Make it known to me. That even though I'm in my 60s, 70s, 80s or whatever, friends, I'm, I'm in their 80s and beyond. And they've, they've not moved on from saved from into saved into. Saved, yes. Forgiven, yes. But heaven delighting in me. You've got to be joking. Let's just quietly shut our eyes. Just be in the presence of God for a moment. And we just welcome you, Holy Spirit. 
We just sit for a moment in your non-threatening presence. We thank you that you know the story and you know the difficult parts of our story. And we thank you that you can walk with us into the story and heal us at our points of distress and discomfort. and painful memories. We're so grateful for the fact that you convicted us of our need of a savior. But we thank you that you want to come to us as well and tell us we have a father who delights in us. Embrace us, we pray, with the Father's love. At the point of our most painful memories, help us to know you're a Father who's never been ashamed of us. who has never disowned us. And when you sent your son to find the lost sheep on your behalf, he picks up the whole sheep, the whole story. to bring it home to the delighting love of the Father. Many of us have brought our sins to you. Help us to bring our sorrows to you. The shame and the embarrassment, perhaps, of a dysfunctional home. A father who was aggressive. A mother who was unstable. The repeating cycle of generations. Break that cycle with us, we pray. That love would invade the story. And love would flow onwards from this point to children, to children's children. even to a thousand generations.
may be slower. For that truly, in Jesus' eyes, would be fruit for his travail. To see us realizing what he longs for us to realize. That his father loves <coughs> us. May we know it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.